Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello there and welcome to a bonus episode of the Driven Chat podcast. An unexpected bonus episode today on the 1st of October. 1st of October! Already. Already. 2021. Like the, it's, it's basically Christmas. <laughs> Now, uh, we're giving you a bonus podcast episode this week. I didn't expect to be doing one this week, but we have, uh, myself and Amy, have arrived at a really, really cool location where we've done some filming, we've taken some photos, and we thought, you know what, we would be crazy not to record a quick podcast whilst we're here. So I'm going to lead straight into that podcast after a little sting, and I'm going to open by asking Amy a very crucial, smelly question. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Driven Chat Podcast. My name is John Markar and I am currently sat in a room that I wish there was some, some sort of magical technology that could pass through your headphones or speakers or however you listen to us to give you the smell of the room that I'm sat in. Amy Shaw, can you please try your best to describe the smell without any spoilers of where we are, despite the fact that people have already read the title? (laughs) Could you try and give me some description of what you can smell in this room? It smells of freedom. I'm going to go with that. Freedom? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of a lovely, musty, but not, but kind of oily, which is a bit too much of a giveaway kind of freedom smell. The smell of freedom. Mm-hmm. Could you say that freedom could be replicated with the wind in your hair? I mean, you should probably be having something that keeps your your hair safe. Whilst, oh yes, um, yes. But I mean, like, yes. Like if you've got long enough hair, yeah. Yeah. Should we just tell them about <laughs> no, it? Just tell them. We are currently sat in a 
very old building in Bicester Heritage. Now, if you're in the UK, you may know what Bicester Heritage is. If you're not, let me give you a brief overview. This is an old World War II airbase, and um, in recent years, the, the whole airbase was converted, or, or restored, I should say, brought to its former glory by a small committee of people that created a space for various businesses, ideally specialising in classic car or um, aero, so old aeroplanes and old cars and old motorbikes. And every single business that's on this site, it is absolutely incredible. It, it's like walking around a film set, isn't it, when you're here at Vista Heritage, because it's just, you've got old Bentleys rolling along, you've got old Alvises, there'll be an old Austin Healey, there'll be somebody wheeling an old 19, 1909 bike around. It's just magical. It's really, really magical. And I'm delighted that that buzzing generator has just stopped because that's going to make this whole podcast a lot more pleasant to listen to. <laughs> so big thanks to whoever's just turned that off. Now, where are we? We are sat in the storeroom for Bonham's Motorcycles. And you will notice in this week's episode, there's myself, John, and we've got Amy. We have no Andy J. However, we have another Andy. Amy, would you like to introduce Andy 2.0? Andy 2.0. Now, this Andy is probably my second favourite Andy in the world. I have to have my dad as the first one, but this is my number two favourite Andy. I have known this Andy, who is Andy Barrett, uh, Bonham's motorcycle specialist, expert, genius, wonderful human, guru, yes. I've known Andy probably for about six years now, I reckon. Is that right? I think so, yeah. And Andy is the reason that I got into motorcycles. And I'm that's, very, very grateful for, to that's him. It's pretty special. It is pretty special. So, uh, Andy, you and I first met, yeah, six years ago at a shoot. I was, I came to photograph. What, what bike was it? It was a 1939 Vincent HRD Series A, repeat, which was sold actually a month later for two hundred and sixty thousand pounds. <laughs> so it was quite a special bike. Yeah. And that was down uh, in London. And basically, we've been friends ever since. Mm-hmm. And. You were the first person to let me ride a motorcycle, which was one of your own bikes. Is that right? It was, yeah. It's a very terrifying situation to be in. Uh, because it's <laughs> you one were of my really f- cool at the time. Yeah, because it's my favorite bike. <laughs> I didn't want to let it crash it, but it was my favorite bike. It's one of my grandfather's ones from 1956. And I let me ride it for like a year or two. And we'd only been friends for like three or four months. And yeah. I just, I was like, you know what? I let it do it. See what happens. And you didn't crash it. You actually did really well. I did. I actually managed to go down the road and then not crash. Yeah. And, and we didn't die, which is the most important thing. I'm really impressed that that was, uh, what was that, 1956? 1954 uh, Velocet MSS. My grandfather bought it in 1956. See, wow. now that's, see John, aren't you impressed? I, I am impressed. <laughs> and I, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty incredible thing to just give somebody that's never ridden a motorbike before. <laughs> just a quick overview of how the clutch works. There you go. Just don't, please don't drop it. That was basically it. But um, but no. Wow. So since then, you and I have gone for rides together, and whether I've been pillion or we've gone out for lovely autumnal rides, and yeah, even having dinner in Paris one night. We, we did both have dinner in Paris in, um, one night. That was it. Yeah, yeah. We just ended up in Paris at the same restaurant. Yeah. Actually, made the world. We, and we did Goodwood uh, Festival Speed yep. same time doing a hill climb. So this this year, twenty twenty one, was the first time both Andy and I uh, individually went up the Festival Speed hill on motorcycles. And so yeah, yeah we've we've gone a long way together. Yeah, you actually were way cooler with the whole like I mean, I did smashing the exhaust. Line. Line. If yeah. anybody's not seen that video or photos it'll be somewhere on my instagram or something because i do look i'm yep. not gonna lie wicked like that was i was so <laughs> pleased with that one <laughs> i saw you just before you were absolutely terrified and I then was. you just bombed it up there and you're absolutely fine and now yeah. you're a legend because you've got some sparks <laughs> <for exhaust. laughs> yeah catching a, an exhaust on the on the track apparently causes lots of sparks which looks amazing but um yeah i don't think the bike builders were that happy but moving back on to, to you andy um tell us about 
When did you join Bonhams? As, and did you start as a bike specialist when you joined Bonhams? No, I've been here over seven years now. So I, was, I joined as the administrator for the department. So I was doing paperwork, entry forms and that thing. I actually applied to be a specialist first, uh, but I didn't get the job. Um, and then I worked at show as just a volunteer to help out. And I obviously worked hard enough and I really you know, sacrificed myself that week. And they gave me a job as the administrator. Mm-hmm. So for two and a half years, I was working as the admin, but because of my love of bikes, I was doing shows and helping out on client visits and going to like you know, Paris and different shows we had. And then I was at a show in, I was in Paris, I think the year I saw you for dinner. Mm-hmm. And the day, I couldn't tell you, but I had been offered a job in Los Angeles to work and run our LA branch. Wow. So I spent a year waiting my visa and then I became a specialist. So I moved to LA to be the Bonhams head of department and specialist for there. Um, and that's, I've been a specialist now for uh, over four years. So for people that don't know exactly what your day in the life is, I'm quite lucky that I get to have a little insight because sometimes you'll send me a picture and you'll be like, hey, do you want to see something really cool? And I'm like, yeah. And you send me a photograph of what looks like, I don't know, a garage with about 200 motorcycles in. And mm-hmm. you're like, we've got this collection going to come up. And I'm like, that's amazing. So mm-hmm. basically you go around the country, the world, yep. seeing these collections that people say, hey, Bonhams, I want to sell all my bikes through you. Come and have a look. Is that right? Basically, yeah. So it'd be like, the Caesar States or people who can't ride their bikes anymore contact us or even like museums. Uh, we did a job oh, two years ago. It's a Morbidelli Museum. And the guy had 400 bikes in his wow. museum. And it was in Pesaro. So we all had to go to Italy. <laughs> and it sounds glamorous. And it, it was great. But it was like 37 degrees. Ooh. And it was 100% humidity. And there was no air conditioning in the museum. So oh, we were wow. pushing all the bikes around, photography and everything. I've never, I've never sweated standing up by doing nothing. <laughs> and, um, you know, but it's just every day is different for us. We never know what's coming through. And it's so exciting because you never know what's around the corner. Um, you know, I did a job the other day where the, the old man had sadly died and the family contacted me. And it was like eight bikes hidden in a workshop. And they had no idea he had his bikes. That's we were pulling covers off and there was stuff everywhere. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's a labor, it's a properly laborious job. You know, you're on the go the whole time. And mm. but man, like when you love bikes like I do, it's just a... It's great because you're talking to these old boys have stories of you know their past and they you know they want it, they don't want to sell their bike because it's their life and legacy mm. but they understand so like it's, it's it's cool to talk to them about their bikes and understand why they want to sell it and how they've you know brought it to, back to fruition or they've ridden it everywhere and that's why it's kind of cool working with Bonhams because you get to help people out yeah. I suppose that's what is quite nice about you doing this job as well as that because you've got your own history with motorcycles you understand what it's like for some of these people to have to go and sell their bikes or their or their relatives bikes and the emotional tie to that as well and I mean tell us a bit more about how you got into the bike world oh so for me uh technically I've been in the industry since I was born I mean my grandfather was racing in 1930s he raced the Brooklyn's the TT did the Manx Grand Prix and the TT from 46 to 52 uh, then has his own restoration business and he was one of the best in the world like people would come from one guy paid for a, an extra plane ticket for his engine to be sat next to him from no San way. Francisco <laughs> to <laughs> England awesome. and that's how good my grandfather was he was one of the best in the world um, and then he has his own restoration business so he died in 94 so my mum and my grandmother carried it on and they ran it for a long time and then sadly my mother died when I was uh, 19 in 2009 mm. so I jumped in and ran the business at 19 wow. and I did my A-levels and I was you know, trying to juggle everything, like off my nan, like off my dad, mm. run the business, you know, try and have a social life. And I did it for three years, like every day, like constantly going in the business, trying to make it work. And it didn't in the end because it just wasn't viable. Sure. But I spent two years clearing the place out. My, grandf- my granddad, just uh, Ralph, because he hates being called grandfather, <laughs> he um, accumulated so much stuff. It was 
unbelievable like the pictures and my memory is pretty good still from it but he hid stuff everywhere <laughs> wow like just the most rarest of there's a, a prototype uh, 125 race bike from the Valset factory he had I'd never seen before I read about it and I heard rumors we had it and I was pulling a box up when we were clearing it out I was like oh man you know I wanted to keep it because it's a you know, historical yeah. thing but yeah so that's how I got into it really it was it was like a light bulb and in sadness as it was like it was a light bulb going off and I can't imagine a life now not being involved in bikes yeah yeah I get that so you actually still have some of your own grandfather's bikes yeah tell us what bikes they are uh, so it's his original 1939 uh, Velocet KTT Mark 8 which he's bought brand new mm-hmm. I still have the original receipts and the logbooks and everything he hid it behind his mum's sofa for the war <laughs> because he was terrified of the army coming around to nick it um oh uh, I've got a Velocet Thruxton from 1967, which was in the production TT from 76 and 77. I've got the Velocet MSS, which you know you learn to ride on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got another Mark 8 KTT, uh, Matisse KTT Mark 8. I have an Italian scooter I bought a couple of years ago called Vivian, who is actually <laughs> over there somewhere, who we use on site and we run around on. Um, and then a couple of other bikes. I can't remember what I have. I think it's about <laughs> nine or ten at the moment. Well, the thing I love about your workshop is that it feels, because it is your, your grandfather's workshop, mm. it feels like you've walked back in time. So you walk mm. in and you've everything that you love in old workshops, and you know when you walk into a really good one, it's, you know, there's no clean surface because mm-hmm. it's got stains of years of oil dripping and tools and boxes of like old I don't know, tins that you've kept nuts and bolts in, and they are all still what you use as well. Yeah. Everything's old. That's brilliant. There's nothing new in there, I don't think. Maybe <laughs> apart from the Bluetooth speakers. I think that's probably the most newest <laughs> thing of my, um, my workshop. But, yeah, but it's great. That's, I think, what's the, the wonderful thing about being able to appreciate the, the room that we're currently in is that we are surrounded by everybody's own stories like you and your yeah. grandfather's. I mean, mm. for a start, let's just talk about our studio setup slightly here. <laughs> um, in this amazing storage space, um, I'm currently sat talking to you what's on a, what's a 1926 Sunbeam? Yeah. Nice. Which has just come in. Um, which <laughs> For anybody that wants to buy one, if it's in the next auction, it's very comfortable. At least sat sideways. <laughs> it looks very comfortable. Yeah. yeah you, look, you look very well placed on it. Yeah. yeah. They're actually really cool bikes. I mean, they actually have acetylene headlights, so you have to have a generator and stick a match in there and hope for the best and don't blow up. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So in the old days, there was no you know, electrics or anything. No. Maybe on certain bikes, they were like in the Harleys. But most bikes had acetylene generators. So you'd have gas going through with the pipes just here and, you know, put a match in the headlight and then that would be your flame. That would be your light home. That's uh, amazing but terrifying. Yeah, terrifying is the main focus I'm taking out of that (laughs) because, you know, the best of times you don't want to crash a bike. You don't want to drop a bike. But when you drop it and it's got an acetylene gas tank on it, that suddenly goes up quite quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. I imagine, especially when these bikes leak a lot. You know, petrol. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah of course, yeah. of course, and oil. What's um, been one of the most interesting things you've seen? Like that, I find fascinating. What's have you have you seen some interesting things that have come on bikes? And you're like, wow, that's because this is the great thing about bikes is that you can customize them quite easily. So people have been customizing bikes and, and cars, but bikes for for a very very long mm. time. Have you seen certain either bodges or customizations or anything uh, like I that? mean bodges, I mean how long have you got? I mean there's some really <laughs> bad ones I've seen on friend bikes that I've been fixing and you know you wonder how they haven't been electrocuted. Uh, I'll just add at the moment uh, Andy's currently looking at one of my bikes and Your bike's fine it. like is it okay? I've seen my friend had a chopped CB uh, 160 and I'm not kidding I've never seen electrics like it. It was just, they're like wires coming out of the sides and they're all connected, so they're all earthed. So if he had touched his finger the wrong time, he would have electrocuted. Oh That's, my goodness. And it, you know, he was oblivious. And I was like, hey man, like, can we sort of, like, yeah, yeah, fine. 
man, it was just, it was really <laughs> terrifying. Um, but I mean, like the, the bikes we see, we see so many varied things. I mean, from the rare race bikes to, you know, the, the common Bantams. I mean, it's, it's incredible. We saw one bike, it was a, a Norton outside flywheel Manx bike. And it only made like three or four of these things. And it was in a shed in Bedford. No way. And, you know, it, 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 it got sold privately via us in a private sale and stuff. But, you know, these, it's just everywhere you look, there's things hidden away. I think, it, I mean, it must be easier. As you say, you, you go around and see these collections where people have managed to hide bikes and your mm. grandfather's own story, having, having a bike hidden somewhere that you think is in the family somewhere. But, of course, you then move an item of furniture or a, a box <laughs> in a warehouse and there it is. It, it's a lot easier to hide bikes and bits of bikes than it is hiding cars and oh, bits yeah, of massively. cars, isn't it? So much easier. So, and I mean, you must have just countless, countless stories like that. The, the whole reason, we should probably mention, the whole reason that we're here today is we've just been filming four feature bikes that we've been picked out from one of the upcoming auctions. So that's on the 9th and 10th of October, isn't it? Yeah. That's and Stafford. that's the Stafford sale. And it's just the most incredible collection of bikes. 300, is that right? Yeah, over 300 with 140 lots of spares of memorabilia. <laughs> that's, a, that's an awful lot of bikes. And, I mean, the room that we're sat in now, I mean, we've tried to paint a brief picture of it, but we, we are quite literally surrounded by lovingly stored motorcycles that I'm guessing have come from all corners of the world. So, yeah, of, approximately in this room that we're sat in, how many bikes do you think there are? Uh, 45. Okay. counted today because we've lotted them up. <laughs> <laughs> so we're surrounded by 45 bikes. And out of this 45, how many are going to the Stafford sale? Uh, everything. Okay. Everything here, apart from the one Amy sat on, there's a few others. Ah, but right. everything here is ready for the sale. We're actually loading up tomorrow because to, of the sales next week. So yeah. it's actually a pretty busy time for us. Absolutely. Um, and you've got, I know there are a number of bikes coming in from overseas. There's a, yeah. a rather special 750 oh, Ducati yeah, that's hand collection. God, it's like 40 bikes. Just the most incredible. I don't think I've, and my, I was talking to my boss about this today. We've, we don't think we've ever seen a collection with such. Uh, there's the, obviously the 750 SS and the 750 GT, the MVs, but they're, they're so well restored mm. and it's so well maintained. Mm. He had, you know, Egley look after these bikes, and Egley was one of the best in the game. Mm -hmm. You know, just they were meticulously looked after, you know, really well looked after. And he had an eye for quality. And it's some really obscure Italian things in there I've ever seen before. Mm. But the heavy hitter is the 750 SS, which, you know, are just beautiful bikes they're yeah. iconic and they've never even they're almost 50 years old they still look modern day bikes they look wicked i mean for, for people who haven't got a picture of one in front of them either have a little google but the one i'm looking at it's bikini fairing like turquoise bottom half and frame with like silver tank side panels and the top of the bikini back of the the seat it's a really wicked bike and you just think I, I don't know, I look at these things and I think, why did design ever change for certain motorcycles? But mm. then again, that's the, the But then you look. see a lot of, like Triumph, for example, do their, yes, their new Thruxton R's. And they do it with the, I think they call it the race fairing, mm -hmm. which is that they've got that kind of aerodynamic bubble on the front end to take it back to those old racer days. And it does, they do look so cool. But you're right, you know, a lot of bikes seem to have just got so big and broad and wide and accommodating a thumping great big engine now, whereas... Back in the good old days, it was a couple of cylinders that were quite literally placed into a frame, attached some wheels, make yeah. some power. But you can go it. forever, though. I mean, there's guys like riding down to Africa. Mm. You know, you can go around the world with these things. I mean, it's like Elspeth Beard. I mean, I know it's 1980s, but she rode around on a BMW, just, you know. Yeah. And that was it. Nothing, no, like, modern technology, just a map and just she tore off because that's something else that um i'm really proud to call you my friend as well because you try to push women in the 
um, automotive world, not just the bike world. So mm. um, you actually got myself, Elspeth Beard, and if anybody hasn't Googled Elspeth Beard, she is like well, the most amazing woman. She was the first woman to ride around the world on a motorcycle. And at the time that she um, that she did it, she was basically told, uh, okay, cool, uh, where's the man that you're going to be going with? That's what no they, she, she wrote to, I can't remember the publication, but she wrote to a publication saying, look, can I either do like a, a regular article for you while I'm on my trip or would you like you know, to, to follow the story that I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And then they replied back saying, when you've got a man to take you with, uh, take with you, then yes, we'll be interested. Unbelievable. And so she's, but she's brilliant. If you've not read her book, uh, Lone Rider, it's, it's really inspirational. And um, so yeah, you, you, Andy, pulled together with Bonhams, myself, Elspeth, um, Jamie Chadwick, I think yep. was there. And I th- I'm sure there's somebody else as well. Amelia Lewis. Amelia Lewis. Who was working it. for McLaren at the time. Yes, that was it. Yeah. And so you try to really kind of push the, the, the females in, in the automotive world. Is that something that you just thought, you know what, I've got, I'm surrounded by these amazing women and there's not enough blokes being able to push, you know, mm. what they achieve and what kind of started that off? It's actually my colleague Poppy, uh, Mackenzie Smith, who was really helpful in that. We, we liked to show and I think we actually met Elspeth's old partner. I think at the time we were like, we should really try and do something like this. And I, we had the idea and I was about to move to California. So we're like, yeah, we'll do it when I get back and we won't, mm. we'll do it later on. But things changed. I came back earlier. So we're like, right, let's just do it. So I think I messaged you the same day and we, we, we planned it in a month. And, you know, Bonhams were really great because they helped us, you know, we gave us funding for it and we used our new Bond Street sale and everything. It was a really great event. We had like over 100 people turn up. And in really short notice, we had like two weeks to get invites out and it was packed. Mm. And, and Jamie Chabot was great. She was really helpful and you know, didn't charge anything, which is really helpful when you try and do a free event. <laughs> you know, and she was great. People talked to her and they could approach her. And now she's like massive. And, you know, mm. I've seen she's test driver for Williams now. It's, I think so, yeah. 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 So she's yeah. really, and she's doing really great in the W Series. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't really so much as a man. I mean, I grew up with my mum, yeah, my nan riding, running a bike shop. Mm-hmm. So to me, it didn't really. My mum used to destroy, in the nice way possible, destroy men who would come in and try and, you know, <laughs> labour us with some bony. Like, you know, yeah, she came, yeah. they would come in and say, oh, let's talk to a mechanic. And she's like, no, I'll sort it out. And she's literally sort them out. Yeah. And one guy even said, I'll come back upstairs in two seconds and I'll apologise. And he walked out and came back in and apologised. Really? So I was kind of used to, you know, women just being badasses. Like, it didn't, yeah. it wasn't like a man pushing to help, you know, equality. It's just, I just wanted to give a platform to people to try and talk. Mm-hmm. And that was really it. It's just, it, it wasn't like a political thing or anything. I just wanted to help inspire people. Yeah. And if we could get two or three people who were inspired, then that was literally the main aim of it. Love that. For people that might be listening to this, and especially women who want to get into riding, what tips would you give them? Ah, oh, there's a fantastic um, VC camp. Yes, Camp VC, VC camp. Yeah, yeah camp who are incredible. Um, they're really pushing. They're in, based in London. And they're really great people. They're really trying to get more women involved and get like different camps going and just teach people how to ride. Mm-hmm. I think it's still quite a daunting process to ride a bike. Yeah. It's a really hard test to do. And it's kind of annoying because the car test hasn't really evolved. Whereas the bike test changes right. like every two years. That's right. Um, but no, I mean, it's just, it's having that step to go towards it and doing like a CBT and, and pushing yourself to do it. Because even as a bloke, it's still a daunting process to ride a bike. Because, yeah, you know, is. there's so much going on the roads these days and people aren't exactly the most um, aware of bikes. Mm. Yeah, but I suppose that's what's great about the the bikes that are, we're surrounded with, and that bottoms tend to to pass through. Uh, but you know, I'm, I say that there are a lot of modern bikes in here as well. But from the classic side, you're almost forced to slow down a bit and be a lot more aware because you haven't got the safety of being able to just. Mm. I don't know if you're going to pull out, you haven't got the the acceleration to be able to get out of a sticky situation. So you're, if anything, I think more hyperly aware of everything that's going on around you yeah. and. If you're on something like a spring seat, you can feel everything. And I remember the first time I rode a bike with a spring seat, 
And I went round a roundabout and I thought that my back end was sliding out because yeah, it, oh, going off balance. my actual bum was going off balance. Yeah. And that freaked me out. But it's wonderful because it also meant that I was super aware of what was happening. Um, I mean, I wasn't very good at riding it, but that was, that was fine. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, just also things like you've got hand shifters and, and stuff yes. like that. That's a whole other game. That is a horrible <laughs> thing. Like even the old American bikes can have foot clutches. Ah, it's just so yeah. cool. They're so cool. So it's like clutches for a reason. Yeah. yeah. There's no chance of riding that stuff. But yeah. you're right. You have to be more aware. And actually going slower is quite nice sometimes. You're not, you're not like the Thruxton RS is so good and reliable and powerful mm. and fast. It's great. But, you know, riding a normal bike is something different. It's mm. a lot more enthusiastic and people are more receptive to you as well. Mm. The amount of people, you know, stop and stare and wave at you and I don't get sworn at as much, which is quite <laughs> yes, nice. Yes, that's true. Um, I guess that's a bit like, it's a bit like that with classic cars, isn't it? You can drive a brand new Ferrari. If you go to your local Ferrari dealership and get yourself a new 488 Pista or something, you'll drive along the road. And I can promise you that somebody within 10 miles of you driving that will either, for absolutely no reason at all, try to cut you up or <laughs> flip you off or, you know, they, they're going to do something to make it very clear that they don't like you mm-hmm. as, a, as a person because of the car that you're driving. However, if you then go and get into your garage because you're very fortunate and you've got an old 250 short wheelbase also Ferrari, mm. and you drive that around the road, everyone will make way for you. Everyone will smile at you. Everyone will let you through because you're driving something that's old and beautiful and lovely. And the mad thing is, if you've got a 250 short wheelbase, then you've probably spent £20 million on your car, whereas if you bought a 488 Pista, you've spent a fraction of that, but still quite a lot of money, obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is incredible, isn't it? And you're, you're so right about the, you know, the analogy you both touched on from the difference between classic bikes and modern bikes and going between the two and with classic bikes having to have that extra bit of awareness about i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How you accelerate and how you brake, crucially. Mm. You know, I was spoiled into the world of motorcycles. I was a bit of a late bloomer, as I've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast didn't even get on a bike till I was 28. So for me, I was very late to it. I've been driving cars for years and driving on track and it really loving cars that don't have traction control and don't have ABS and just a real raw visceral experience. I suddenly got straight into bikes and straight onto fairly big engine Ducatis that had ABS and have traction control and have wheelie control and all these other amazing bits of technology. And then after a good few years of riding various fast bikes, I got onto an old Royal Enfield, which I bought in lockdown last year because it was a friend of mine that owned a body shop that this bike had come in and he said oh do you, you know do you want it so i did i bought it i bought it as a little fixer-up project i wanted to understand more about how bikes work so that's what i did and on the first day that i took it out for a ride i was terrified <laughs> because i hit the brakes and they locked up and i was going around corners and the back end was sliding around because of course i've been so reliant on technology doing all this wonderful stuff mm-hmm. 
but it does completely change your riding style. You suddenly do slow down. You suddenly enjoy the ride a little bit more on the basis of, yes, I am in control of this wild machine as opposed to, thank you, Audi Electronics controlling everything <laughs> on my Ducati. Um, so, yeah, it is. I mean, it, it, I, I feel like I often say the same about cars. Everyone should drive a classic car to fully understand the benefits of them. And I think if you are a biker, everyone should have gone an old bike as well. Yeah. But, Although it does not frustrate me, but embarrass me, I guess, is the best way um, to say that when you know, when you're following a car and people who are not riders don't know what age your bike is or, mm, that's what, true. or how fast it is or not. And then cars in front of you start to slow down slightly and move to the side of the road. Like, as if basically to say, you can overtake me at any point. Yes. And I'm like, oh, I cannot. I'm like, giving it all it's got. <laughs> <laughs> I remember doing um, <laughs> the first year I did the uh, the Great Malay Rally, which if anybody's into biking long distances, this is something you really need to check out. And um, basically, it's, 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 uh, a, it's a ride from Cornwall to Scotland on something either inappropriate, custom, classic... And it's amazing. And I was on my 1972 Honda 354. This is pre-engine rebuild. And to overtake, because I was in a group of like six, and everyone else is like overtaking lorries with complete ease. Not not mm. fast, just, you know, just normal speed. Yeah. I, <laughs> I would have to wait for a downhill, tummy to the tank, <laughs> to overtake <laughs> these lorries. And um, yeah, like it's not, a, it's not a quick bike, but you just try and keep up the traffic. Um, or your friends, apparently. Um, but yeah, that's... That's what I do love about classic bikes is that they do have their own characteristics. And again, one of my, you, you've at the moment, Andy, got my, um, my 1965 BSA Bantam, which is an old mm. post office bike, bright red. It's got gold lettering down the leg guards of like GPO. And it's got a white tank number of the, the old post office number. And you're basically pulling it apart and putting it back together to for your benefit and also mine yeah, i mean you blew the engine up so i didn't oh. i didn't blow the engine up it had sat in a museum for about 10 10 years right and then i bought it from an antique sh- shop it was in a shop i walked into a shop near goodwood actually <laughs> and i'd always, always wanted since getting into bikes um a lounge bike i wanted one a bike that would just sit in my lounge and look lovely of course you know i could take it out every now and then and uh, saw this bike, hadn't run for about 10 years. And within about half an hour, we managed to get it running and bought it. And then um, rode it around a few times. My favorite, my, and I didn't blow it up, but I might have slightly seized everything on a Christmas Eve when I decided to, to ride it. So I tried to do a little ride every Christmas Eve. It's like mm. a little thing. And uh, yeah, I locked that up and then mm. it's been seized ever since. So um, then, yeah, Andy said, hey, do you want to... Do you want to get that looked at? Do you want me to unblow it up? <laughs> yeah. And a lot of work's been gone into it already. Um, when you pull the cylinder barrel off, the piston ring's actually stuck to the barrel. Oh, right. So it took a lot of uh, dock wheel and my, a lot of pressing my fist to try and get it out, wow. which obviously isn't the most technical way of doing it, but it's all I had at the time. Yeah. And uh, a lot of metal was in the crankcase because ah. someone had ruined the engine. Ah. I'm going to go with... Andy's argument, oh, you blew it up. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be a lot of people at home nodding. Nodding, saying, hey, saying you, blew, you blew it up. Yeah, I you did, did blow it up. Blow it up. But, but again, it's almost there. That's the lovely thing about bikes as well, is that if you're also wanting to get into mechanics or mechanical yeah. things, if you're like a 16-year-old listening to this, get a little bike. Mm. It's so easy. Well, I'm saying this like I can do it. I, I'm not a mechanical person. But I'll say to you guys, I imagine it's so easy that you can see everything that's happening. You can see where things attach, where they unbolt and yeah. pull things apart rather than having to be constrained by an engine bay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am quite mechanically minded when it comes to cars and always have been. And my dad very kindly taught me everything that I wanted to know with classic cars and minis and things and, and uh, on the premise basically to say don't please don't be a mechanic I'll teach you <laughs> what you need to know as, as he uh, was a mechanic in the motor trade for many years 
And um, yeah, I remember him saying to me as a, as a teenager when he, when he was asking what I wanted to do as, as a job, I said, well, the only thing I think I'd probably be quite good at as a mechanic. And he just said, no, please don't. Because <laughs> at that time, he was convinced that the world was about to turn into a big robot and it was all going to be impossible. Um, so he did teach me how to spar on cars. But up until I bought that old Royal Enfield, I'd never really even held a spanner next to a motorcycle. I just hadn't. And then, of course, you start breaking things down as you do with everything. If you speak to any mechanic in the world, it doesn't matter if you're working on a W16 Bugatti or an old Royal Enfield bike, it is all nuts and bolts. You take it all apart, you put it back together again. It's all very much a simple process of take it apart, see how it works, put it back together. And I did many an afternoon, sat, in, in fact, at uh, Caffeine and Machine, because my friend Ben had his workshop at Caffeine and Machine called String Theory. And Ben very kindly gave me a corner of his garage and said, right, you can just use that corner, do what you need to do to the bike. So yeah, took apart the clutch assembly, took apart the carbs, turned, uh, pulled off the fuel tank and looked at the fueling system, looked at the electrical system and spent many an hour just going, oh, well, that's quite simple, isn't it? In <laughs> comparison to doing stuff on cars. But of course, Andy, you're going to be far more experienced than I am when it comes to yeah, you're right. fettling. It's, it's very simple. I mean, it's all very basic engineering. I mean, there's a lot of like four-cylinder bikes back in 1910 and like the mm. race bikes in the 1930s they look very daunting but once you know how to do it it is a very simple process or just it's being meticulous i think is more yeah. the term it's not rushing into a situation it, not to be horrible to them but it's like a honda cb750 where it's like meccano where you you have mm. to have skill of course but it's not as easy as putting everything back together sure. my race bike i blew it up on a photo shoot uh, almost two years ago it took my friend 100 hours to fix it Ooh, wow and it wasn't, I, I'd, I cracked the crank pin in half. So it was a big job. Mm. But it was just the, you know, it was, was fine-tuning it and making sure it was all correct. And it's bevel-driven at the top so and the bottom. So it's, it's, a, it's a meticulous job. Yeah. So it's not, but it's a fun job to do as well. Like, you know, you have, like you spent hours doing yours. Mm. It's a fun pleasure to do. It is. It is very fun. It's very rewarding. Yeah. I remember thinking, and that first ride that I went on, I remember thinking, yeah, I did this. I got it back together again. Because <laughs> for years it sat doing nothing. So, so it's really cool. I mean, I'm hoping that this podcast is going to go out before the auction. It is, yes. In the May. auction that's soon to be happening in, yes. in, so a, in that case, a week or so. I have got the, uh, the catalogue in my hand. Have you, I'm going to go with Andy, you know the collection most. Have you got a favourite bike mm. in, this, in this lot? Uh, that's a really good question. And well, I do actually, it is a 750SS. I know I've already talked about it. but the for me, Yeah, they're yeah. Just for me, they're the most iconic the I mean, even Kira Knightley rode one. I mean, come oh, on. Oh, like, that the one in the, in the film? Yeah. Uh, I mean, come on. If, if Kira Knightley rides it. Was it Chanel? Chanel? Yeah. yeah. If she can ride it, then it's iconic. But then did she ride it? She, okay, look. It, was, <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> details, details. It's in showbiz. <laughs> doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But it just looks timeless. You know, the colour scheme of it. And, and the story behind it. I mean, the, that bike, they rode at Imola. Mm. They Paul Smart and um, Spajari. They shouldn't have won that race. Yeah. They did. Yeah. And it's just create this legacy it helped Ducati you know keep going and then a few years later they make Mike Harewood one and just that era for them was fantastic and mm. just that bike just it reeks of just, oh, just I can't even describe it's it pure class isn't it, it? Is, yeah it in fact cool. what I'll do as well is whilst you're listening to this and this will work I assume before and after the auction's gone through mm -hmm. I'll put a link in the description below mm. so if you want to actually whilst we're talking through you can scroll down and just click the link and you'll see the bikes in that have are either about to go through the auction or have gone through the auction because there are some absolutely spectacular, but like, spectacular even the no reserve stuff right at the beginning of the sale the Ken Senior stuff it's all you know cheap stuff but it's great mm. because there's like bantams in there we were talking about earlier you know just some really great stuff that anyone can buy and get into yeah you know and there's parts so you can buy parts everywhere you know you, there's so many great websites to find information on and mm. books and you know even like the i think actually probably the bantams are probably some of my favorite in the sale because yeah. 
anyone can buy them and have fun with them. They're super fun, really fun things. You know, and for a grand, you can you know go ride a bike, an old bike, yeah. and experience the funness of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the Ducati is estimated between ninety and one hundred and thirty thousand pounds, so mm. a little bit more than a grand. But yeah. I mean, if you've got expensive taste, then that's fine. Um, I think my favourite, actually, and it's only my favourite. Probably, if you asked me this at the beginning of the day, I probably wouldn't have said it was my favourite. Mm-hmm. But since wheeling around in it all afternoon for this for our photo shoot, <laughs> um, <laughs> lot number three six four is a nineteen seventy five Honda forty nine or so fifty cc Z fifty mini trial monkey bike. <laughs> monkey bikes are just silly little things. If you're a biker and you just think, you know what, this bike malarkey can get a bit serious, and everybody's like, oh, you know, <laughs> I've got a, we've only got the, I don't know, the twin, I, I don't know, like. This is just a silly little thing that you can whiz around to post office and back and just have fun. It's bright yellow with a little bit of white on the bottom of the tank and proper knobbly tires. So maybe you want to go off-roading, but if you've also, maybe you've got field, maybe you've just got mm-hmm. to, you know, go and check in your sheep or something like that if you're a farmer. <laughs> and then just whiz across on this thing. It's a fantastic little thing. And don't forget the folding handlebars. So you oh, can yes. quite literally pick it up and put it in a boot. If you are, you know, maybe go down to the beach. Yeah, as you yeah. said, you can fold your handlebars down, get it in the back of your car, and then pop back out again. It's so light, and it's only one and a half to two thousand pounds estimate. Perfect. There well, we you're, I'm convinced you're going to buy it because <laughs> you've definitely <laughs> fallen in love with it whilst wheeling it around. So, um, and what we mean by that is we have done a bit of a photo shoot today, so you'll be able to see those photos on our social media feeds at Driven Chat very shortly. Uh, but we also did a quick walk around video as well. We picked out four bikes that are going into the Stafford sale. And Andy's very kindly shown us around the four bikes, just giving a quick overview. And then, of course, if you want to see more details, click on the link in the uh, in the caption below and you'll be able to see uh, the bikes in greater detail. But, yeah, the one that stood out for me out of those four that you were very kind to show us around, Andy, was the Vincent, although mm. Vincent but not a Vincent. So remind me, HRD. Yeah, so it's a, it's a Vincent HRD. Yeah. Uh, how, HRD stands for Howard Davies, uh, who was the original founder of HRD. He was a TT rider. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, went, he created the company in 1924, I think it was. And then in 1926, the company failed. So Phil Vincent bought the company and then rebranded it as you know, HRD, but above it saying the Vincent. Mm-hmm. Um, so these bikes, you know, up until I think 1946-47, they would be branded HRD Vincent. Uh, it's only until they started selling bikes in America when the American public thought they were Harley Davidsons and right. uh, not HRD Vincent. So they very quickly decided that they were even called the Vincent. So that's why it's the Vincent Black Shadow, the Vincent Repeat, yeah. and stuff like that. But um, but that's a fantastic bike. Just you know, one of nine in the world. You know, it's just the history is fantastic. The history file, honestly, is probably six inches big. Wow. It's massive, and you know, correspondence and just talking about the history with it. I think there was at one point it, we believe it was raced in Ireland. In the 1940s, um, it can't definitively proven because the records are so sketchy from that time. But mm. from the history, from talking to the owners' club, um, it's just a great bike. You know, in a local bike, it's not far from. It wasn't far from here actually. It was um, the seat of state was from. Oh, amazing. So yeah, the 1931 Vincent HRD 500cc two-port OHV sports model. And remind me, Amy, yes. the uh, the value of the bike that I've been so casually just scooting around <laughs> on for the past few hours. <laughs> Yeah, that might be um, if you have a spare fifty to sixty thousand pounds, then it's yeah. all yours, John Marco. I don't know why I always find myself falling in love with the things that are the most expensive. Every every aspect of my life, I've never <laughs> ever found myself go, "Cool, that's lovely. How much is that? Oh, it's the cheapest one in the shop. Oh, fantastic! I'll buy that immediately." It's always, "Oh no, you need a special insurance policy even to look at that, sir." <laughs> so yeah, it does, it's very fitting with my usual taste. What's the most expensive car or bike you've ever driven? 
Oh, goodness me. Uh, probably the Zenvo. Yeah, yeah. That too. was about a million quid, wasn't it? Or was, was it two million quid? I think it was two, it's million, two million, quid. million quid, yeah. Um, I think, oh, mm, yeah, I think so. Oh, no, I have, I've driven an old 250 Testarossa as well. Oh, my word, man. That was worth a lot of money. Yeah. I drove uh, an Aston Martin DB3S. Oh, I, don't know. I don't know how much they quid. cost. I, yeah. yeah, a few. But I don't know if it's more or less than two million quid of a Zenvo. No, it's probably about the same. <laughs> anyway. anyway. <laughs> hey, what's the most expensive car you've driven? Why not email us at uh, podcast.drivenchat.com? This is about do that. bikes as well, though, is that they're never going to be as high value as cars. But no. way more fun. And I think that's actually, you know, I hope we've got a few listeners that have, uh, are still with us at this point who aren't necessarily bikers, but they enjoy hearing the stories about bikes. If you are, as I was, as a car driver, you know, if you want to go out and get the best of the best modern sports car or supercar, you're looking at, realistically, until you're getting into the really special things that are two million quid, like a Zenvo, um, if you want to go and buy, you know, the, the top of the range Ferrari, you're looking at two to three hundred thousand pounds if you want the absolute top of the range superbike ducati then you are looking at 50 or 60 grand for a brand new thing and in comparison it's just it's pennies you know if you want to go and buy a ferrari la ferrari million quid if you want to buy the equivalent ducati 60 grand and you can fit it in your living room and and it looks really cool or if you've only got you know your garage you can't get it into your living room you can fit about six in your garage. It's true. One for each day of the week and then one day off where you drive your car. <laughs> I would be very happy with that. Absolutely. And you have got space in your workshop for a few more bikes. I have now got a workshop, which I can now fit a oh, number yeah. of motorcycles in. It's Might have idea. to do that. Yeah. Mot- Amy's Motorcycle Corner. <laughs> that'd, that'd be good. I don't know how long it'd last for. <laughs> I, yeah, I need to need to get the other half into riding. But yeah, there we are. Well, I'm sure you'll succeed at that. So again, if anybody wants to see what bikes are on offer... Where can they find them? Just go to the website, uh, bonhams.com forward slash 26978 or slash autumn sale, and you'll see 450 lots on there. Um, you know, everything ranging from Phil Morris's racing collection, where you can only actually buy a MotoGP bike now as well. Oh. Uh, it's only recently MotoGP bikes stopped actually, the teams actually stopped giving the privateer bikes away. So right. his was the last bikes you can actually buy privately. Mm. Wow. So you can actually own a, a genuine MotoGP bike, cool. which would be terrifying. Is that the, I mean, this is useless for me to say this on the podcast, but I'm going to turn around and go, is it that one over there? It is, yeah. yeah. The Carl Laverty one, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is just an incredible piece of kit. Yeah. I think it's in like 40 or 60 grand for a, right. for a you know, stock. It's a pretty of, good track day tour, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's inc- but you actually need all the equipment to go with it. Sure. Um, which, you know, the team can still give you. And it's just 40 grand to have a, Moto G- a genuine MotoGP bike. Yeah. yeah, where else are you can find another one of those? That's pretty cool. What is it before we wrap things up? What is it that really gets your heart rate going? If when, because of course, in your position, I guess you're you see everything from every part of it. Like we said at the beginning of the podcast, you get invited to come and see collections of families if they've lost a relative and they've got this collection of old bikes or old museums. What is it that if the phone rings or an email comes in and they say, "Oh, can you come and have a look at this?" It is a dot 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 dot. What is it that makes you go? Oh my God, got to go now. It's, for me, it's Velocets. I mean, it's yeah. my family heritage. So for me, I'm just like, you know, head, trying, I just can't get away from it. Mm. I did a collection in Croydon and the guy had a bedroom full of Velocets bears. Really? And I had a broken... Yeah, that bedroom. That whole bedroom. <laughs> honestly, it was stacked to the top and he'd been collecting for like 50 years and how the floor hadn't gone through, I don't oh, know. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it was in some random house in Croydon. Like the train line was behind it. Right. And the bikes were in there and it was probably one... You know, the guy was still alive so I could still talk to him about stories mm. and everything but I had a broken tour time I was like limp down the stairs like engines like full on engines <laughs> down it and uh, but it was first said to me is like I get drawn to it every time mm. um, but if it's a museum like race bikes I, I, I know it sounds very casual but I just anything 
I, yeah. I love bikes so like any bike situation mm-hmm. i'm the you know i'm just like a kid in a candy store i just love it do you find it exciting when you do find barn find bikes or oh, is yeah. it are they more common i imagine they're more common than barn find cars yeah 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 i mean we had the brussels bobman moore like five years ago um there's this it's, it's incredible this bloke had hidden away these Brassi periods for 50 years. Oh like some of the rarest of the rare, there's a Brassi period four, which only made, I think, six or seven. Right. It had an Austin engine to it and two back wheels. <laughs> so he put a sidecar on it and everything, but he hid them away. And then we literally had to dig them out of the ground. That's uh, if you, I mean, if you listen, listening, to that, it's like Google Brassi Bobman more and you'll see the pictures. Yeah. Honestly, they're in chicken sheds. And wow. when he put them away, he had like problems with mental health. Like his mum died and he wasn't you know, the same. He was really affected by it. So he, he shut himself away from the world. Mm. And he just kept his bikes hidden in his sheds. And then we got the call to go in and help out and stuff. And that's, for me, is the best part is helping people out. Yeah. At the end of the day. Because, you know, the, the industry really can be a bit uh, vicious and ruthless mm. sometimes. And for us to get help people out and families out, that's like the, another thing that I love doing is just helping people. Yeah. You know, because it's a scary process. You know, people die and it's a horrible place to be in. Mm. And then we get to come along and help them out and make sure that they're in a safe position to sell the bike or car or whatever. Yeah. And it's great. Um, is it ever difficult to try and value bikes? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's always difficult, but we're lucky we have a very good database. So, you know, for the run-of-the-mill, you know, like Sunbeam you sat on or, you know, Brass Superior or Manx Norton's, it's quite easy. But when they have history with them, like racing history or Steve McQueen's owned it, it's mm. very hard to... Sometimes have to, it's like a shot in the dark. Yeah. And you kind of just got to put it out there and see what happens. And it's, it's Steve McQueen is obviously one of the most famous riders of all time. Yeah. I mean, we actually sold his bike for like $235,000, the one he actually used on, on a Sunday. The actual bike he used was incredible. But it's, it's hard to gauge value sometimes because, mm. you know, you've got to bring the emotional value to it as well. So it's, it's a very delicate situation to, you know, you can't go like a bull in a china shop to tell people you have to be very delicate because mm-hmm. for them it's worth, it's irreplaceable. Yeah, but there is always a monetary value to these things. So trying to work out an estimate takes time and it's experience as well. I mean, I've been doing seven years. The guys I've worked with have been longer. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's just experience, knowing your gut and just kind of having a feel for it. Fantastic. Well, I, I mean, just sat here listening to you talk about your job. I can't really imagine anyone else that would be better positioned <laughs> for doing what you do than you. Um, and I, I foresee quite a... Um, quite a significant future ahead of you at uh, at bottoms or wherever you end up in the biking world because clearly this is this is you know flowing through your blood isn't it it's incredible yeah i can't escape i try escaping for a couple of years but i still end up back here so <laughs> i'm destined the thing to be in bikes the rest of my life which is great because it's All such the best a fun, people are. yeah it's such yeah. a fun job i mean it's not really I'm, I'm, it's not really a job i'm getting paid to come and talk to you guys <laughs> True. You know, like it's not a job it's just a fun day every day awesome Good Best kind stuff. of jobs. Best kind of jobs, absolutely. You and I know that all too well. So, yeah, if you want to have a look at that collection for the auction that is going to be happening eight, uh, on the 9th and 10th of October, then have a look in the bio below or wherever you're listening. There will be a link somewhere very, very, very nearby um, or just yeah, head over to the Bottoms website and you'll see it there. Also, if you'd like to head over to our YouTube channel, um, if not now, certainly within the next week, there will be a video online uh, where you will see Amy, myself and Andy walking around the uh, four of the amazing bikes that are going to be going through that Stafford sale. 
And all that's left for me to say is thank you ever so much for listening. Thank you for being part of it as ever. I hope you've enjoyed this bonus episode of the Driven Chat podcast that we've thrown at you this week. A nice little surprise, even for us, this one, Mm -hmm. uh, because we recorded it yesterday and it's going out today, (laughs) I've just decided. (laughs) So thank you ever so much for listening. Um, And if you would like to get more bike content, I know we've said this before, we did the podcast with Jodie Milhouse. If you would like more bike content, then do let us know, either by sending us a message, leaving a review, uh, or just sending us an email, uh, podcast at drivenchat.com to uh, tell us your biking stories and uh, or even if you just want to put in capital letters in the subject line more bike stuff please hashtag more bike stuff please yeah that's a yeah. nice long hashtag mm-hmm. but it works it, it works <laughs> andy thank you so much for your time um, i imagine that uh, the next few days for you is going to be transporting a lot of bikes from yep, here at vista up to stafford very busy couple of days uh <laughs> i don't think i'm home for two weeks so i'm looking forward to not sleeping for two weeks Yay. fantastic <laughs> <laughs> thank you ever so much amy thank you andy thank, thank you. you and to you the listener thank you very much the driven chat podcast in association with paramex digital you dream it we bring it to life find out more at drivenchat.com oh wow you've made it to the end the very end and it's john markar here again reminding you that this podcast the driven chat podcast has now run its course and has come to an end to find the new format search the driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps thanks bye